Thank you for being a church that is continuing to grow young. Let's praise God for those testimonies. Yeah. Greenville First Christian Church has always been a church that is investing in the next generation. I just want to tell you to keep it up. Uh, I believe we're going to continue to grow young for God's glory. It's not just so that we'll have youth in the church. It's not just so uh, the church won't die. It is for his glory that more and more generations continue to know the love of Jesus. Let's continue to grow out, to grow deep and grow young. Together, uh, we're committed to grow out with the gospel. And here's where it all starts. Here's where it has to start. It's the center of everything that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to go out from this church in our own lives, that we let the world know that Jesus died so that we could live. The next generation, all generations need to know that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he was crucified on the cross after having our sins put upon him, he that was sinless, and that while he died, he rose from the grave uh, victorious over sin and death, and he reigns uh, as the King of kings and Lord of lords right now at the right hand of God, and he's the Savior of all men and women. Amen? That's what we're going to grow out with, the gospel. And we're going to grow deep in his word, devoted to his word, the, the word that provides life and truth. And we're going to continue to grow young, walking with one. Once again, that one is often younger than you in age, but it's only primarily needed to be one younger than you in the faith. So you may say, hey, I'm walking with one and I'm 30, but the guy I'm walking with is 45. That can work. But oftentimes it is us making sure we're walking at least with the next generation. It can be a person younger, it can be a person older, but it's someone younger in the faith, and I love to see when it happens. I love to see you walking with one. It's been happening more and more the more we talk about it. I praise God that people are seeing it. Um, it's fun to watch. Last Sunday after church, I was out in the hallway just right back here, and I was talking to a woman I'd never met before. Um, she is a little younger than me. You know, age begins to matter less, but she's got... Uh, uh, a boy she's raising, and she came up to me and asked a question. It's only her third Sunday here. I never met her before. Can I share in communion? And I want you all to know that everyone that claims Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to share with us in communion. We have an open communion for believers to remember Christ. And, and she was very thankful for that. She didn't know if that was the case. And then she shared with me a couple other things going on in her life, and I was glad to get to know that. And then she said, you know what, Pastor? She said, I think someone's walking with me. And I was like, man, that's great. And she told me a little bit about the story about how this lady who was older than her in the faith, uh, maybe older in age, just by a little bit too, and began to pour into her life just after her third week here. Uh, she sat by her in Sunday school and, and she would ask her how she could help her on this or that. And she goes, I think someone's walking with me. And so then we prayed um, right out there in the hallway. I prayed for some of the things she brought up. And then I thank God that someone was walking with her. It wasn't 20 seconds after we prayed that someone... Um, tapped her on the shoulder. It was the person she thought was walking with her and said, hey, do you want to go with my husband and I to, uh, to Subway to get a sandwich? And she kind of looked at me. She probably she said, oh no, uh, I, I, I can't go today. And she said, oh, you can come. She goes, no, um, I don't get paid till next week. And she says, no, we, we want to just you to come with us. We'll buy her lunch. And she started to have all these other excuses. And I just stepped right between both of them. And I said, no, wait a second, let her walk with you. And they both smiled and it was beautiful. This idea that we have people in our church that, that, that didn't know each other just two weeks ago, and they're walking with each other and, and with Jesus. Man, look who you can walk with. So how do you do it? You're like, man, I, that, that's, I like to hear stories like that, but how would I do that? 
That's what we're going to continue to unpack today. How do you walk with someone? As a staff, we study this book called Growing Young, and it gave six core principles or commitments to help all Christians and all churches walk with the next generation. Last week, we studied, and some of these principles, we studied having empathy. And this is this idea that we don't just feel sorry for people that are lost or younger than us or, or maybe uh, don't know anything, but, but we empathize with them. We, we hear their story and we say, hey, we want to be with you. We, we hear what you're saying and we're going to figure this out together. And then last week, we also covered, I believe, the most important part of the wheel is this idea that we would be centered on the message of Jesus, the gospel, that our conversations and our life shared with them is all for the point of showing them the hope of Jesus that changes everything. It's a beautiful thing. This week, we're going to talk about two more warm relationships and making uh, the next generation a priority. Next week, we're going to talk about being the best neighbors we can be and then also keychain leadership. But as we apply these commitments to our lives in the church, here's, what, here's why I'm so excited about this, and I hope you can tell. When we get these things right, they are often looking all like Jesus, but when we get these core commitments right, people are willing to walk with us instead of away from us as a church. Because if we get these things right, if we have warm relationships and focus on Jesus, people are going to be interested, and they're like, hey, I will walk with you as we follow Jesus. But if we're not warm, if we don't care, if we're not willing to be empathetic, they're going to walk away from not only the church, but Christ, potentially. Every generation needs Jesus because he is the hope that changes everything. And this is really not a new concept. You're like, uh, this doesn't really sound that old. No, it's not old at all. It's, it's our mission to love God, love people, and serve all. All generations, all people, uh, male and female, rich and poor, young and old. We're to love and serve all people for the glory of God. And it should be no surprise that a church will thrive when they have warm relationships. That's what the book said. And a warm relationship is really a fancy way to say we're going to love one another. We're going to be a place that feels like family. Man, I loved it first service today. When we had our meet and greet time after the first song, Ben had trouble getting the room kind of back in order so we could continue to worship together as a corporate body because everyone was just talking to one another. And I felt a very similar sense today that when we're together, it should feel like family. Amen. Shouldn't the church feel like family? That, that no one here uh, would be literally on the outside within a matter of a couple weeks that you could get plugged in and be walking with others. And that's our goal. The church should feel like a place where you can share and no pressure to be fake. The church should be a place where you feel comfortable and not be preached at. Amen? And I pray that we journey together as we follow Christ. So how can we purposely pursue these warm relationships and making people feel sure that they feel loved well the best advice doesn't come from a book written by humans it comes from the life of Jesus so turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4 and we're going to look at an amazing story of Jesus in his life early in his ministry where he reached out to someone who was not fitting in who had been hurt who had been devalued in John chapter 4 Jesus had just got through a real busy portion of his ministry. And the Bible lets us in on this fact that he was tired. He needed a rest. He, he literally sat down and, and kind of took a load off for a moment while the disciples went out to find food. And he happens to sit down by a, a well, a well where people would go to retrieve water. But it was at the middle of the day, so people weren't naturally coming then. They would often do it very early in the morning to get water for the day. But here Jesus in the middle of the day, and he's taking a rest. The disciples have left him. 
and this woman shows up. It's odd for, for, for one that she's there by herself. We're going to find out more later while she's there. It's odd that Jesus would talk to her, but we're going to see that he pursues her. Look at the, the middle of the story in John chapter 4, starting with verse 9. It says, This woman, the Samaritan woman, said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I mean, this, this is worse than the Cardinals and Cubs. This is worse than Republican Democrats, if you can believe that. This is a, a Jew and a Samaritan. They don't mix oil and water. And she says, why are you talking to me? I'm here in the middle of the day to get water, uh, I'm, and I want to be alone. And here you're asking me questions. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So right early in the conversation, he switches the conversation to this kind of this religious political debate almost between uh, Jews and, and people from Samaria to this idea, hey, everyone can have life. And that's what I want us to focus on as much as anything today. Every person we come into contact with, everyone we walk with can have eternal life through Christ, period. Everyone. Look what it says in verse 13. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He goes, you're going to thirst again. You're going to, have to come, you're going to have to come back tomorrow, no matter what time it is. You're going to need water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst again. And the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's got to long for this. She's going here day after day by herself in, in kind of isolation and shame, getting water. And Jesus says, hey, whenever I give you water, it's eternal Jesus intentionally pursues this conversation to start a relationship with this woman who didn't think she was worthy because of the social norms of the day, because of the aspect that she was alone. She didn't feel like Jesus would want anything to do with her. She had a lot stacked against her. I mean, for one, her past. We're going to learn about her past, but don't we all have a past? Every single one of us, every single person we walk with is going to have a past, and yet Jesus looked past her past. She also had the social and religious reality around her that made her not a candidate to be speaking to a Jewish rabbi, yet Jesus pursued her. And we can't get past this. We have to make it obvious. Let it be known that those who follow Jesus will, like Jesus, pursue all people. We need to be church. We need to be a, a, a group of Christ followers that pursue everyone. I love it when people come to church and there's people, church people, that are surprised they're here. Can you believe they're here? Yes. We, we need to be more and more like Jesus where it's shocking who comes to be a part of the family of God. That's a beautiful thing about church. Jesus like, I'm not surprised by anything. I came for everyone. In fact, he says, I came to seek and save who? The lost, the sick, the hurting. So how, does, how do we pursue like Jesus? I want to look at three uh, very specific things that Jesus did so well, especially with this woman, but with all people that we can too. The first thing is Jesus showed acceptance without approving of sin. Man, that's a hard balance. How do we accept all people without approving of all of their sin? And, and some, some people think, well, it can't be done. Jesus did it. 
And here's what we have done. We've kind of uh, went too far in this. Because of our, uh, the church history, uh, the last 50 years or so, maybe it's been since, since even Jesus left, but church culture has been like, we don't want to be approving of sin, so we can't be ever seen as accepting of someone because it may, in essence, be approving of their sin. Guys, acceptance and approval are not the same. You can accept someone in, in a tremendous amount of mess, amount of sin, that doesn't mean you approve of what's going on in their life. And shame on us when we think we can't accept someone and be with them and make them feel safe at church in our lives because we don't want anybody to think that we're like that. Guys, we need to be very careful that we would always be accepting even when people's lives are messed, especially when lives are messed. Here's what I'm saying. Acceptance and approval aren't the same, but we must accept all people. And help them to feel safe. Jesus was radically different in this. And it was awesomely powerful. The woman herself was uncertain. Certain, why are you doing this? Why would you want a relationship with me? Because she matters and she's valuable. And the people that you know that don't feel like we would accept them, you need to go out of your way to meet them wherever they're at, whatever part of the day it is, and show that you can accept them where they're at and point them to Jesus, not tell them they're wrong in their sin. Acceptance and approval aren't the same. Jesus did really well at that, do we? I hope next week you're really surprised someone's here. And don't, don't say, well, you're like the woman at the well. Don't do that, okay? But I hope you're surprised by people that are here and you're like, man, I'm glad they feel accepted. And I hope they find Jesus. Jesus also shared a deep, in deep conversation Remember the story, if you know the story, if you didn't read it all in John chapter 4 this week, but Jesus, in the midst of the conversation with her, he doesn't do any small talk. He doesn't talk about the weather. He doesn't even talk about the teams that are winning, you know, the local uh, Jerusalem team that maybe won the championship. He didn't talk about any of that. He gets right to the heart of the matter. But I am not Jesus. I'm human. I'm flawed. But this is good. I just want to support this. I want to promote this. It's amazing. I don't know if any of you heard how, uh, how great of a job uh, the tennis, the girls' tennis team in Greenville did this year. Uh, many of them went to state. Uh, Paige Mathias, Caitlin Ridings, and their friend uh, Ellie Schaffenberger, uh, uh, they went to state and did really well representing not only Greenville and our church, but more importantly, they're Christian young women. And I'm so proud of them. Let's give God praise for these girls. When you see these girls around church or maybe at school or IGA, wherever you're at, man, encourage them. Say, great job. But Jesus didn't go to the weather or who's winning. You know what Jesus did? He went straight to this woman's problem. He says, go get your husband. He already knew. I mean, everyone really knew, but he was also the Messiah. He knew that she had relationships with men and problems and pain. She doesn't want to see any of the local girls. That's why she's going to the well uh, at this strange hour, and yet Jesus brings up the obvious. He's ready to have this hard conversation, but, but she, Jesus was different. He wasn't whispering behind her back. He said, hey, what, what about the man in your life? Jesus had the courage to have the conversations that really mattered face-to-face. -face. Don't we need more conversations than controversy in today's world? 
it, we're getting ready and to get into the heat of the political situation. And I didn't even say this first service, but I, I want you to get out and vote. But we're not going to have a conversation of politics here. Uh, but we need to always be having conversations instead of controversy. There's controversy all over the world, and we need to be in these great conversations. And Jesus was willing to go face-to-face with this woman caught in adultery, caught in a mess of life, and say, I want to talk. The next generation, the world, is ready to talk, but are we ready for real conversations? Young people today, I believe, are ready for real conversations with you. People who have been there, who have done it, who know. I have yet to really hear, not even from my own boys, a young person say, I'm not interested in hearing what an older person has to say. Sometimes they don't act like it, but they're really actually very interested. But are we slowing down to enter into conversations that really matter? And not just surface level uh, questions. We talk about this kind of regularly here. You know, if we just ask, how are you doing today? Or good morning. You know, uh, how are you? The answer is regularly fine. We usually get that as a regular answer. I'm fine. I'm good. We need to adjust our questions to really matter. Now, I know sometimes time is a limitation, especially on Sunday morning. So work at asking better questions that really matter. I found this is so important even with the boys. Four boys in the house still. There's many days I don't even get one question with some of them. So if I just ask this question, how's school go, I'll get the same answer I've been getting the last 20 years. It was good. So you know what we need to ask? Better questions like this. If you get a chance to ask someone younger than you in the next generation, say, what was the best part about school today? What, what was something good that happened at, at, at your game or your practice? What really went well at work or what wasn't so good at work today? Ask questions that, that are specific where, where it starts a conversation. If you really uh, feel lucky, ask uh, somebody, where's their girlfriend at? Or where, where's their, you know, who's their boyfriend? It'll really get some conversation going. But let's quit asking questions and let fine be enough. The younger generation, our friends are ready to, to pour into us. And then when they start talking, remember what we said last week? Tell me more. Be a listening ear. If you have the guts, man, ask some tough questions. It matters. It lets them feel valued. Also, be willing to wrestle with their tough questions. Young people, uh, we need to give them more credit than this. They realize we live in a world that's messed up. They just lived through the pandemic with us. Uh, there is problems that we never faced, and they're willing uh, and ready to ask us tough questions if we're available, if we're ready to wrestle with it. But you know what's scary about this? What I found is, and I just happened today in the hallway before the service, people will ask us as parents, as older people, as pastors, questions we don't get, we don't know. So what do we do then? The church has been bad at this and stereotypical at this, and let's stop doing it. Let's pretend like we know the answers to all the questions. But let's be ready to to wrestle with them, with one another, and look to God's word for the answers because he does have them. They're actually interested in knowing what we believe and what God thinks. But if we pretend like uh, we know all the answers before we even have to consider anything, they're going to be like, that's fake. We need to be real. And I believe real is refreshing, especially to this next generation. But what literally happens when you're asked a question that you don't know how to answer? Be honest and say, I don't know. I just did that in the hallway. They're like, what? You don't know? I don't know. So then what do you do? Let's talk about it more. Let's try to find out together. Or let's go ask D. He knows, okay? Where's D at? 
That's, D doesn't know everything either, guys. I do love it when I see my boys talking to D, though, because they're probably going to learn something, aren't they? So let's work on this together, but let's not just pretend like we have all of it. Let's wrestle with it. All joking aside, this next generation, as we walk with them, as we grow young, they're ready to have tough conversations and ask us tough questions. Are we ready to step up and walk with them? Man, it it became all too real to me a couple weeks ago. I was in the office just right over here in the main office. I was standing in the hallway talking to Nathan, um, our um, administrator, and he was asking me some questions and just need to be taken care of for the week. I love it when, man, somebody's got like five questions. They're just simple to be asked, and we, were, we moved on. I backed up into the hallway from his office and kind of stood in the middle of the hallway or the middle of the office. I could still see Nathan in front of me. Diane could be seen in her office just to my right, and Belinda was sitting at her desk just to my left, and everyone could see me there, and we talked about a few things that everyone needed to know about. And then a little girl came out of Diane's office, her granddaughter, Avery, four years old, and stood in, stood in the uh, doorway of Diane's office in between Diane and I's vision, and she just stood and listened for a second, and then we were done talking. She kind of came up to me, and she said, Tyson, do you still pray for Ty? If you know Avery's story, her brother Ty died a few months ago as an infant. She said, Tyson, do you still pray for Ty? And the reason she asked me that is on the day that, that Ty um, was struggling for life, I, I was really the first one there other than family. And, and I took the girls, uh, Avery and her two cousins, and, and we went to the house and we just kind of tried to shield them from all the chaos outside. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. For the best part of an hour, the most thing what we did was pray. It was kind of interesting. I didn't share this with first service, but this is probably the cutest part of this. We were praying for a while and the two little twins, uh, Avery's cousins, after about 30 minutes, they said, can we just get on our tablets again? And I was like, sure. You know, they're, they're, they're like three. But Avery kept asking questions that day. She's four, and it was a brother. And we prayed that God would spare his life. And then she said, Tyson, but if he dies, he's going to go to heaven. I said, yes, yes, yes. And we prayed more. So uh, just a couple weeks ago, we're talking months later, she says, Tyson, do you still pray for Ty? Like five seconds went by, and I didn't know what to say. What what do you say? And guess what? Everyone else in the office was listening. (laughs) Avery had all of her attention. And after like five seconds of silence, I said, Avery, I certainly still pray for Ty. But even more than that, I pray for you and your family and your grandma and grandpa. And I'm so thankful that Ty is in heaven and because while I think about Ty when I pray, we do not have to pray that Ty make it to heaven based on our prayers. Ty is in heaven because of the grace of God and he's created in his image, amen? But I had to, to think back that Avery deserved for us to wrestle with that even though none of us knew what to say. And the conversation went on just for a couple minutes and I forget even all the questions she asked, but she deserves answers. She deserves for us to wrestle with her, even though I don't have all the answers. The bottom line is we need to create space and relationships to have real conversations. What do you do when a four-year-old comes up to you with a deep question? Do you blow it off? 
Well, what about a 14-year-old when they have a question about something that you really don't know for sure? Do you just dismiss it and be like, oh, we'll talk about it later? Because here's what I'm telling you. If we blow them off when they're four and if we uh, neglect them when they're 14, there's going to be a day they stop asking questions. And they walk away from the church and they walk away from the interest of us uh, like we even care. We must have space for relationships and conversations. Make it around a meal or a small group or a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a mentoring session who you're walking with. But Jesus did that so well. Jesus also celebrated the value he saw in others. This woman at the well, I believe, had lost her value in herself. That's one of the reasons she was willing to go to the well when no one else was there. She's like, I don't deserve to be with everyone else. My life's a mess. I don't want anybody to bother me. She lost her value of herself, but Jesus saw value in her. The disciples didn't see value in her also. They were surprised that Jesus was talking to her. The Bible, in fact, says they marveled that he was talking to this woman. The disciples knew. The disciples heard about probably the woman that would go at the well that had already been with a, a, a bunch of men and was with another man that wasn't her husband. The disciples knew. The disciples saw her as who she was, a Samaritan woman, and they were surprised. The Bible says they marveled. The Greek word for this is not just marvel. It is this idea that they were taken back. That they're like, we can't believe you're here with her. Jesus, do you know what this looks like? You shouldn't be talking to her. And you know what they said, though? The Bible says they marveled, and then they said nothing. And reading between the lines, when they showed up, it killed the conversation. You ever been in a conversation that was going really well with a lost person, and then your church friend shows up, and they blow it? By like, a, who's this? Well, we're here to pray. What are they here for? I mean, I'm, I'm being a little extreme, but we've all been there and stuff like this. We may have all been that person. We, we show up in a position and somebody's really making grounds with somebody showing they value. And then church people show up and be like, oh, this person doesn't matter. We're here for more important matters. Shame on us. Shame on us to ever have a conversation with someone and belittle someone there. And, and maybe, well, I didn't say anything. These guys didn't say anything either. And she left because it got awkward. Jesus saw in her, though, something that was amazing. They saw a mess, and they didn't know what to say, but Jesus saw her for who she was, a woman created in God's image. Amen? So who do you see the lost as, the next generation as? Who, how should you see them? That's the better question. The same way Jesus sees you. How should we see the people that don't know him? The same way he sees us. So we need to ask these questions again. I think the next generation are asking that we're in the book. I love these questions. When, when you hear somebody say, who am I? Celebrate with them. They're creating God's image. When you say, well, where do I fit in? Celebrate with them. They can be a part of God's family as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of the, the church because of Jesus, not because they're good, but because he's great and his grace is awesome. And then when they say, what difference can we make? Encourage them that they are created with God's gifts to be used for his glory. That's what Jesus did. The disciples missed the boat that day. Praise God, Jesus didn't. I hope we're not. For years, though, we thought we had to attract people to relationships by being the coolest, especially with the younger generation. It was just church culture that if you wanted to have a cool youth group, you got a cool youth minister, you built a building that was attractive, you had the biggest screens you could have, you had food, you had all these things that were cool. What the book highlighted as they interviewed the next generation is warm is the new cool. And what I mean by that, what they meant by that is while those 
tools still matter. Technology, activity, food, fun. While that still matters, what really will draw the next generation is warm relationships, not just being cool. And you've done both of those well. Keep it up. I want to close today by just really praising you for making youth a priority. You saw it in the opening video. Uh, whether that youth was um, uh, a, like a preschooler or that youth was a little bit older, like my friend John Heston over here. Thanks, John, for doing that. You saw in that video that for years, the church has made the next generation a priority, right? For many of you, you felt that. We need to keep it up. How are we going to keep making it a priority? And some of you, if your hair's getting gray like mine, you may be thinking, though, isn't it a little dangerous to invest in the next generation to make them a big priority? Does that mean we're going to really let them control the movement of the church and, and everything kind of goes through uh, what, what matters to them? The answer is no. That's not what that means. In fact, if you've ever been here at 830, you, you know that we have an entire worship service designed to, to really meet the, the worship needs and, and uh, uh, kind of just relational content of the older generation. We have a traditional worship service. And if you like traditional worship music, come at 830. But, but that should be evidence that, that we appreciate all generations. And, and we have five generations of church, and they all matter. But we have to prioritize on a regular basis the youngest generation, because if we're not walking with them, they're going to walk away. But no, it doesn't mean they run the show. But think about this another way. Let's say if 50 years ago, the church had a vote. If we're, if we're really going to continue to invest in the next generation, grow young. And, and we had this vote, and what the vote turned out was the only instrument able to be played in worship service was the organ. And, and the only songs that we could sing was out to the 1953 hymnal. And no technology could ever be utilized, uh, whether it was a projection screen or uh, some type of device that amplified uh, the music. None of that could be used. We were going to strictly stay the way it was in the New Testament. No more pews. We're going to set on, on, on like pieces of mat on the floor. We're going to get really back to the core of Christianity. None of this. You know what would have happened to this church? We'd be in a position like a lot of churches are on life support, if not already dead. But you had the vision years ago to say we're going to continue to grow young and invest in many things to proclaim the name of Jesus and give him glory. And we've got to keep it up. You've done so well, but it just can't be rhetoric. It has to be our reality. Continue to lead out. Man, you can see it all around us. One way you can see it, and there's a building. If you've never been over here, check out our children's wing. I love today that some of our people aren't with us, and this is hard for pastors. Hey, they're not hearing my sermon, but there are some parents of our kindergartners that are down with Tiffany and the kids' ministry just learning what they do down there. It's the first time we ever tried it. I'm excited. When your, when your age group kids come up, maybe it's first grade, second grade, they're going to do this in rotation. Go down and see what they're doing. You can see our investment in the children's ministry. You can see our investment in a gymnasium that's for all people, but man, the youth love that gym. You can see it in a student ministry room. You can see it in salaries that we have a, a student pastor, that we have uh, salaries committed for children's ministry. You, you can see it in, in the way we spend our money in the budget. And, and I would say, keep it up. I'm so thankful that we've made the next generation a priority. I want to celebrate this too. It's a new line item in the budget. It's for literally the, the, the next generation. It's, it's the young people of our church. That, those who have graduated high school all the way up to about 29 there's, for the first time since I've been here, money in the budget for that age group. 
to have programming and, and facility. And they're growing. I praise God for the college students that are here today and, and, and adults stepping up to come alongside and walk with them. You guys are doing well. But I'm most amazed at what happened. This might shock you. This type of year is the type of year where we do the budget for, for the next year. And the next generation, part of our church, which is basically Andrea, Tiffany, and Ben, got together to do their budget and make their proposal. To the admin team first, which is some elders and some business leaders within our community, males and men and women of our church uh, that know business, and they present the budget to them, and then that budget goes to the elders. But Ben and Tiffany and Andrea presented their family life ministry budget to the admin team. And they asked for a total of $2,000 increase. And to my surprise, the admin team rejected it. They rejected the proposal. And I was shocked. I wasn't at the meeting. I was like, man, this is not a very big uh, increase. Why would they reject it? I'm proud and excited to tell you that they said that's not enough. They gave them an additional $20,000 to invest in the next generation. And I praise God for that. Let's give God glory. Part of that's possible because you're giving. But here's the other thing. They're having the mindset that we got to continue to invest. And the admin team said, hey, here's the big caveat. This extra money goes to three main places. It goes to make sure students and children can go to places like camp, CIY, and other special programs because the cost of registrations went up and families may or may not support these children. They want to say, we want to make sure the youth of tomorrow go to an investment in Christ today, and you're going to help with that. So I thank you for uh, empowering them to say yes and also give them that $2,000 they are looking to spend in other ways. Great job. I'm excited about the future. Our building and our budget screams that we want to invest but it's not just that we're giving money, it's that we're walking with them. There were times when young adult ministry, especially children's ministry, was propelled by one group of servants, and almost entirely by one group of servants. Can anybody have a clue which group of servants made up the most of, of the workforce of our children's ministry in the past? Anybody know? Moms. Women. If you look at church history, uh, let's be honest, there's times when women carry the majority of the load of ministry, and I thank God for godly women in our church. But what's interesting, over the last couple of years, when the vision we put before the young people, do you know what the, uh, a big part, almost half of our workforce now in children's ministry are students, young adults, college students? High school students, all the way down to junior high, they're in the nursery, they're uh, teaching Sunday school with an adult, they're walking with them. And I praise God that, that our ministry today in, the, in children's ministry is as strong as ever because our young people are serving. So it's not just uh, moms and grandmas, now it's uh, uh, students. And, and there are a few men down there, but men, if, you, if you're here today and you're like, man, I've never served down there, I challenge you, check it out. We need more men serving in that way, but I'm so thankful that our young people are stepping up to serve. But some of you might be thinking, isn't this really dangerous? I mean, if we really invest in the next generation like you're talking about, it kind of goes against what my grandma raised me as, that, that kids should be seen and not heard. You ever heard that before? Kids should be seen and not heard. Now I know there's some truth to that, especially this afternoon at the Graber house. I'm trying to take a nap. I don't want to hear you, okay? But the idea that we should be nervous that we're investing too much in the kids' ministry, the youth ministry, young adults, is just false. Because I want to tell you firsthand, when a church makes a priority to invest in the next generation, you know who gets left out? 
no one. The entire church grows. In fact, my experience when I went to Hersher, the church was running about 40. They didn't have a nursery or really a youth program at all. When we left after investing, not only were there more young people, there were 400, a church of 400, and many of them were old people, young people, and a lot of young families. The entire church grows. This church has lived through that, and we're going to do that again. We're going to continue to give God glory as we grow together. So let's grow out, let's grow deep, and let's grow young together. Do it by focusing on warm relationships and making youth a priority. And see the joy in their face as they realize someone's walking with them. I think of two women as we close. I think of the woman out in the hallway. Someone's walking with me. She got so excited. I think of the woman at the well who said, man, Jesus is willing to walk with me. You know what happened to that woman at the well? Even though she walked away from the disciples when they were like, oh, I can't believe she's here. She went to her town and she told everybody she knew about Jesus. And hundreds of people came to know Jesus and his salvation. I think the same is happening today as we pour into this next generation. As you saw in the video, as many of them are in now ministry, they're sharing the gospel with hundreds of people. Let's keep it up and continue to grow young together. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. Help us to have warm relationships. Help us to make the next generation a priority for your glory. Father, give us wisdom on on where to move forward and, and when to be patient. Father, if someone is here today and they realize someone's walking with them, let them be grateful. If they realize today, maybe for the first time, someone's walked with them so they would know Jesus and they're ready to receive him, I pray that they would come forward and say, I'm, I'm ready to follow Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen.